now is the opportunity when we will spot um, the talent that we couldn't see before because we're going to give them an opportunity to come out of the shadows. We're going to give them an opportunity to shine. And more importantly, we are, as, as those of us as senior leaders, are not necessarily going to be looking in only in one direction. We're going to be turning around and going, ah, seen that now. We need to give the space for people to come out of the shadows. Hello and welcome everybody to episode four of our new podcast series focusing on the importance of fully inclusive, multi-professional, co-home care professional leadership. Today's episode will be delving into principles four and five. These principles focus on the development offer required to support the new league multi-professional system leaders, how we might identify these aspiring leaders earlier in their careers and in roles that are less traditionally associated with their trajectory to leadership. These principles also focus on the importance of a recruitment process that supports demographic diversity of leadership to ensure that it reflects the population it serves. But before we get into it, let's hear from our expert panel. I am Des Breen, I'm National Clinical Advisor for System Transformation with NHS England. Hello, I'm Rania Tanadhade and I work in North East London as Chief Pharmacist and Director of Medicines and Pharmacy and I also have a role in the North Thames Genomic Medicine Service Alliance. My name is Gina Sargent. I'm the Chief Allied Health Professions Officer for NHSE in the South West and co-chair of the BSW AHP Council. Hello, I'm David Pearson. I'm a proud social worker by trade um, who became a Director of Adult Social Care with Nottinghamshire County Council and uh, a chair of the Integrated Care System in Nottinghamshire. And I'm currently System Partnership Advisor with the NHS. I'm Sakti Karunaniti, Director of Public Health in Lancashire. I'm also one of the National Advisors for System Transformation for NHS England. I'm Dr Will Taylor. I'm a GP, but I'm also the Chief Medical Officer designate for the Herefordshire and Worcestershire ICS. So my name is Chris West. I'm Deputy Chief Nursing Officer for Leicester, Leicestershire and Rutland Integrated Care Board. The skills for system leadership are different traditional organisational leadership skills. Gina and Sakti explain why. I think it's all about the lens with which you look through. And if we are trying to achieve that patient-centred, service user-centred focus to what we're doing and really thinking about what matters to them first, you need a diverse group of people to bring together uh, that that system from their lens. You don't see what you don't see, I think is is the, the process that I'm always aware of. And I think it's really important to bring together all those views um, without which you were going to miss some of the golden nuggets um, that we need in this new way of working, really. If you think about the historical development of clinical care leadership amongst various disciplines, they tended to still focus on the person at the centre, but come at it from their training and what their profession and their skill set can offer to improve the situation in hand. And now what we have designed uh, is actually that uh, based on the realisation that it's not sufficient just to do our bit. It's also important to join it up with the person at the centre, and that requires not just what yourselves and your your discipline and the leadership from that perspective is needed, but also to be appreciative and to be receptive 
for other views that might actually be even more relevant for the individual concern. So we are asking our professionals to take a much broader view of the individual and to take a much broader view than their team or the organisation. Clinical and care professional leadership needs to focus on the skills and the perspectives rather than necessarily certain uh, professional labels or organisational labels that people bring. So we all have a responsibility as leaders to help our particular uh, elements of of the workforce uh, think ICS when they think their careers and think system when they think about their objectives and, and their development, which links back to the conversation in the previous podcast. So absolutely, I think principles four and five really are about the way in which we embed clinical and care professional leadership. Des and Raleigh explain some of the benefits for clinical and care professional leaders learning across both organisational and system boundaries. It's a two sort of dimensional thing in terms of learning together across systems, but also learning vertically down by systems. One of the points that was made in earlier podcasts is this permeation and therefore there's different skill sets needed at different levels of the system, whether it's at ICS or at place or at neighborhood or organization or department or, or individual. And therefore, it's really important to actually appreciate the different skill sets needed and then where the perspectives are coming from. Encouraging people to come in to work in, um, in, in healthcare or social care or you know, just looking after people, really. I think yeah, we need to be clear about what the offer is for them. So we're talking about improving recruitment, improving retention. Will relays the point that it's not about working in our silos. Permeation is key. So it's just a little a practical point that we've learned in our system when we were trying to implement some of this. We started off trying to work out, you know, what would be our, our development offer that was bespoke for clinicians. And as we thought about it, we felt really that doesn't work. We need to think about what's our bespoke, our development offer for the, for the system, for clinicians, care professionals and non-clinical and care professionals. And then we realised the people's board that was working in another silo in developing the ICS was doing exactly the same thing. And it was it was a real eye opener that actually we cannot do the clinical professional leadership piece in a silo. You can't do the people piece in a silo. In fact, you can't do the quality piece in a silo either. They all all slot together. So we started working together. And when we did that, we really delved into it. And so what we've been thinking about now is actually bringing people through clinical care and non-clinical care together. So they have those general conversations. They train together. They learn together. They understand each other together doing it in the same way across the system. So we're, we're doing system first everywhere, not just in, in places where so it comes through the providers, it comes through primary care, it comes through the social care. And also we talked about in previous podcasts, the concept of permeation. And I think that's really, really key here is about if we get this to permeate through this idea and concept, then you have permeation of talent recognition as well. We start seeing the people who are active in this space, who are actually the enthusiasts, the generative leaders who may not realize they're leading and many of them don't actually even realize they're leading when they are and actually that should then push into that picking up the breadth of people the people that would normally take on these roles so yeah it's, it's a real iterative process there's the big key here was realizing that clinical professional leadership can't happen in isolation it's, it's a collaborative piece with certainly the people's board and, and actually i think a bit about quality as well Sir David reflects on the importance of diverse leadership that reflects the population it serves and also touches on some approaches to promote greater diversity of professional backgrounds in leadership also. The importance of of recognising and encouraging leaders 
in order to make sure that we represent accurately the communities that we serve and the workforce does, thinking about equality and diversity and making sure that we've got the right profile of people and we're encouraging people to come forward who who are underrepresented and how how systems think about how encouraging people um who, who are fantastic in many respects and have got a lot to offer as professionals we're trained to be experts in our specialist field but of course in this context we need people who can build bridges and develop a, a broader understanding of the whole and I definitely think that the sort of programme that Will has described and others have touched upon similar things is exactly what we need. I also, from personal experience, found that a, a kind of a mentoring approach is a very good thing to do across disciplines, as well as sort of co-development. And particularly when we're talking about leaders who can encourage other people coming forward. So it is often the case, in my experience, that we might think, well, that person's got potential and obviously got to be careful to make this fair and uh, and give everybody equal opportunity I don't think I I've got those skills so people need that kind of encouragement without prejudice to the outcome uh, uh, in order to uh, take that take those developmental steps because sometimes you know humility can get in the way but but I, I certainly think that that is a is an approach that um, can help with this Sir David's point leads Des and Ralea to reflect on what an effective development offer might look like and the value of considering new approaches, such as reciprocal mentoring. Everybody will be starting from different points. Everybody will have different needs and everybody will have different roles to play in that. And that's got to be reflected in, in the leadership development offer. Going back to how we've done things in the past, we often send people on courses. Well, it assumes they've got the same starting point and the same needs. And, I, and I'm not sure that's right. You know, the way forward we develop a suite of offers whereby depending on what individual needs are and depending on what their roles are going into, offers can be tailored. I think if you're in a position of leadership, it really is fundamental responsibility to find the emerging leaders and also to give opportunities. And it's not it's not so much about promoting people. It really is around actually going in and finding and giving them the opportunities. And what that means is that you yourself as a lead have to have a good understanding of what those opportunities are. I, I've been in reciprocal mentoring and relationships once when I was the more junior. If you actually take the principles really seriously, what you get from that is a really good understanding of if you are putting programs in place, how is that impacting the other person in the in the relationship can also advise on the thinking and what is it that people that you're not seeing. It's very much around um, building your leadership and Ability. I, I always think the term reciprocal mentoring is better than reverse mentoring because it is very much a, a thing of learning from each other and seeing each other's each other's perspective. Sakti has some advice for those listening to this podcast, and it's all to do with courage. Um, it's hard enough to be in a leadership role within an organisation, and what we are designing is, admittedly, an even harder task to not just think about your group and your organization, but wider system. And I think it needs to include three difficult tasks for you. The first one is to think about this as something that you can't do alone. And that takes a lot of courage, especially 
if you made your way up into a hierarchical position that's at the top or one of the top posts. And the second thing to do is to seek out what's not here with you or what is missing that really is needed. And that takes even a lot more courage to admit that that perspective to perform system leadership skill uh, is required. And then the third task is actually seek out and include what is diverse and missing. And all these three things actually starts with yourself as an individual. And it's a paradox, isn't it? So that, that is a, there's a thought there. If you really truly are building systems leadership, it builds and starts within oneself, especially those that are finding themselves in leadership positions. So where do we find those emerging leaders to diversify our leadership, both in terms of demographics and professional identity? Will and Chris share their thoughts. There's a few ways you can do this. One is just awareness. Everyone needs to be aware. You know, there's a huge bit about there around unconscious bias, not recognising people. Um, the other thing is about creating structures to give people permission to move. So certainly VSOL, a couple of my colleagues who are, are absolutely advocates around this, have started building specific EDI networks and running EDI groups within within trust, within primary care, within CCG. And in many ways, that has given people permission to come forward because there is a space they can actually start talking in, they feel safe in, and then moving from those groups out into the more system leadership. So that was a bit about that. The other thing I just wanted to mention is we have in many environments, certainly within medicine particularly, but I think also within nursing and many other, a really toxic environment of hierarchy that we re absolutely need to break down. We need to have a space where we bring some things to talk about. It's open to everybody. I see that as a, an opportunity to really grow. And then we'll find the nugget, the nuggets of things that we hadn't really occurred to us because we were so busy trying to meet other priorities. At the same time, we find people who are the future. So we encourage our new leaders to grow and, and, and contribute and step out of maybe their comfort zones in a safe space. At the same time, being able to go, wow, actually, do you know what? <clears throat> what you said was amazing. Let me direct you. Let me show you what's out there. That for me is what it'll look like on the ground. Alongside clinical and care roles that carry statutory requirements for certain qualifications, the guidance introduces the idea of professionally agnostic leadership roles to promote wider clinical and care engagement across the system and to enable the principles to be embedded at every level. This is a new concept in many respects, so Gina, Raliat and Will reflect on what it means and how we might approach making it a reality. It is such a significant cultural change that there is really something about throwing that ladder back down, as many would say, giving others confidence, bringing others forward, um, whether you agree with their perspective or not, allowing, you know, giving them permission to take that perspective forward and really challenge a system. I think we need to think about how we alter our leadership, as uh, Sakti was quite rightly challenging us all to think about, and doing that in a way that their voices really come forward first rather than the voice of the leader. I, I agree with Gina. This is a really, really difficult thing to do. And every time I started thinking about it as a pharmacist, then my brain just froze because I just don't know what this means. But actually, then I started thinking about um, 
actually coming out and thinking about it not as a professional, but actually just, you know, just, just leadership. I, I also work at, at um, Chief Pharmacist at Bart's Health, largest trust in northeast, northeast London. And one of the things that we have is a fantastic, really active network, you know, st- um, st- staff networks. Leads in the network, then they are given those opportunities to go to the board, to present the work that they're doing, to ask for the, to ask for the support, but it's got nothing to do with which profession they come from or where they work in the in the organization the, the key thing for me there really is that the um, commitment of the exec to ensuring those networks flourish and to support the people leading those networks is um, is really key what do you need to deliver for leadership in your organization and I, and that that helps then move towards the whole agnostic um, considerations now is the opportunity when we will spot um, the talent that we couldn't see before because we're going to give them an opportunity to come out of the shadows. We're going to give them an opportunity to shine. And more importantly, we are, as, as those of us as senior leaders, are not necessarily going to be looking in only in one direction. For Sir David, it's about creating an environment where people can succeed. Clearly articulate what the benefits are of that approach and what the benefits are for the communities we serve. Creating the environment in which people can succeed is is very important. And being able to demonstrate practically that those things are happening, they're making a difference and what difference they made is part of encouraging everybody to see that actually this this is not only a set of words or aspirations, it's a practical reality with with benefit. We've unpacked a lot in today's episode. That's where we're heading to Gina for some key takeaways. I think the key takeaways for me are the self-reflection. So to be a good leader, knowing yourself. I think um, we've talked about system challenge. um, And I think really importantly in that space, understanding and appreciating allyship in the best possible way to ensure the transparency that we talk about and actually state in these principles uh, for really true, open, transparent, uh, clinical and care professional leadership to really um, openly and honestly address the, the equality and the diversity agenda within that framework. And that's it. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode and listening to our expert panel. Join us next time for the last episode in the series, episode number five, where our expert panel will be sharing some examples of these ICS implementation principles in action. Thanks for listening. Take care.